Hey, good morning, y'all. I see by you being here that the time change did not fool you. You got an extra hour of sleep, and congratulations on that. I think most of you are aware that I am not the primary preaching pastor, but on occasion I do get the privilege and the honor to uh, stand up here and share with you. A couple of weeks ago, I started what, uh, what I'll call, for lack of a better term, a series of three things that are distinctives for Canton Bible Church. And, and really, it, it expands beyond that. What are the distinctives of true believers? Last time, I spoke on the love of the Word of God, the Bible. And, and I hope that maybe in a small way that after we all thought about that, we got to spend a little bit of extra time in the Word and that the Lord was gracious and gave us additional insights from that time that we got to spend reading what He has said to us. Today, we're going to be talking about prayer. And what a great prelude we just had. What we often forfeit when we don't go to the Lord in prayer. I'd like to begin with a question. In fact, as a preview of coming attractions, there's going to be a number of questions today. But the first one is, are you satisfied with your prayer life? I don't need a show of hands. I don't want a show of hands. But I would like for you to give that a moment of serious consideration. Are you satisfied with your prayer life? A few weeks ago, John David, in, in a message, told us a part of why confession in the body is good. It's good for us, and it needs to be done. So today, I need to confess to you guys that as I began preparing for this message, I also became convicted that while I pray, I may not do it as well as often as I should. You know, just because it's a distinctive doesn't mean that we get it perfect or, or even right all the time. Um, I spend too much time asking God for stuff. Like, I spend a lot of time asking God to prepare me for this. This is not where I'm comfortable. I spend a lot of time praying for friends and family, for, for sick people, for people that need to get saved. I spend a lot of time praying that. And that is often at the expense of love and thanksgiving and gratitude and confession, all the things that we need to be sharing with our loving Father. So in the midst of chaos in the world, we're tempted to pray for a lot of stuff. But today we're going to be looking at some passages that hopefully will guide us as we pray. Uh, for the most part, what y'all are going to be experiencing today is an inner dialogue that I've been having. Uh, you get to experience that, and you get to ride along for the fun of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we are so privileged to be able to come before the throne of God to share everything on our hearts. Father, it's amazing we have that privilege and that honor. 
Father, we ask that we not take it for granted. And Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would shine light on that, Father, that you would teach us the desires of your heart and how we should pray, how we should relate to you. Father, we ask that I would be nothing more than a vessel, but Father, that you would speak, your word would be open, and we would be enlightened. Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you and we love you. And it's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. You see, not only is prayer direct communication with God, but like everything else, it's an opportunity for us to honor God. It's an opportunity for us to spend time listening. It's an opportunity for us to become more like his son and to introduce others to the person of Jesus Christ. We'll be looking at a number of texts this morning, but primarily we're going to be looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer or, or really the Disciples or Model's Prayer. We're going to be looking at a prayer by King Asa and then some prayers from the Apostle Paul. But before we go to those texts, I want to ask another question. What is prayer? I know you know what prayer is. But I want to make sure that we're on the same ground, singing off of the same sheet of music, if you would. I'd like to establish a foundation for what prayer is. And then as we get deeper, we'll discuss what some of our struggles might be. The last time I was here, I spoke on the Word of God, and that is what God says. Today, we'll be talking about prayer, and that's communication with God. It's simply talking with God. And, you know, God doesn't need us to tell him what we need, all the stuff that's going on. After all, he is omniscient, and, and he already knows. So what we're really doing is expressing our trust in him. And because we trust him, we can acknowledge our dependence on him. And for many of us, that's a hard thing to do, to be dependent on anyone other than ourselves. And if it must be said, I'm going to say it, communication with God, communication is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. We don't just list our stuff to God and then shut up and walk away. It's communication with. So the word and prayer go hand in hand. They go together. Another question. Are we listening? Let's open up our Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. In this case, I prefer the ESV, uh, so you may follow along and the words will be a little bit differently. Jesus speaking. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the verses that immediately preceded this, Jesus was talking about how not to pray. We're not to pray 
for show. He condemns that. We're not to babble. We're not to say lots of words. We're not out there trying to impress God with how smart we are and how eloquent our language is. Real communication is real talk that comes from us rather than some script. Our personal prayer life needs to be serious. It needs to be thoughtful. And it needs to be an intimate conversation. And the model prayer is going to explain how we do that. So first, who are we praying to? Our Father in heaven, the sovereign of the universe, the creator, and at the same time, our Father. So we're to treat this communication with the reverence that is due that because he is God. And yet, at the same time, we're understanding our position as adopted sons and daughters of a loving father. So positionally, we're speaking to a loving father, but we don't want to become so familiar in that conversation that we are any time disrespectful to God himself. The Apostle John, in his first epistle, John 3, 1, said this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. With that in mind, we get to communicate with God. We get to. We get to talk to the creator of the universe. And I hope I never get so sophisticated that that doesn't blow me away. I'm reminded of the potential consequences in ancient times of entering the king's domain without an invitation. Think about Queen Esther and the dilemma she faced as she knew that her people were about to be annihilated. Think about what it took, what it required to have the high priest go into the holy of holies. And yet, we have an open invitation before the throne of God. So we know who we're praying to. That helps us with the how. Many of us are very familiar with the acrostic ACTS or, or ACTS that stands for Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I personally find it helpful that there is an order to that. And it keeps us on track. Not that that order is perfect and has to be stuck to as a law, but it does help guide. And if I'm honest, what happens to me is I get those out of balance. Sometimes a little, and sometimes more than that. What is our attitude as we approach God? Hallowed be your name. We approach with the reverence and awe that is due our Creator. He is the Father, but He is also and always will be God. 
His name is holy, and it is to be reverenced as such. Isaiah 9, or excuse me, 29 and 23 says, But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. Indeed, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His name is indeed holy. We approach God in trust. We have to decide if we trust God or if we're going to trust ourselves. Is prayer my first response? And since he is God and I trust him, do I call him first or do I trust me? And is he a last resort? Some years ago, right after my dad had passed, my mom needed some remodeling done. And my mom knew that my entire life I had been in the construction business. She knew I understood contracts. She knew I understood contractors. She knew I understood the process. I understood. And yet, she decided she didn't want to bother me with it. In addition, she knew that I cared deeply for her and wanted what was best for her. But she decided that she would handle it because she didn't want to bother me. Until the wheels ran off the wagon. She had signed a bad contract. She was already in trouble because of delays. And as it turned out, it would have been easier for all parties had she invited me into it at the very beginning. And that's the way it is with God, only more so. So do we trust God and he's our first response? Or is he our last resort once the wheels have run off of the wagon? Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Am I praying based on Jesus' promises and those at the forefront of my prayers and therefore with an eternal perspective? Or am I praying with more earthly matters in mind? And we can interchange the word I and we if you want to, but I'll keep it as personal as I can for a while. Jesus and, and even John the Baptist talked a lot about the kingdom. And, and what is the kingdom? The kingdom is really anywhere that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, reigns. So in praying this way, we're praying that the kingdom that Jesus started or began becomes consummated and complete. Let the gospel be preached throughout the world people be saved, embrace Jesus as their Savior, and bring all people into obedience to God. King Asa, one of the good kings of Judah, prayed similarly. At one point, King Asa had an army in Judah of 300,000 men. 
and in Benjamin, 280,000 men. That's a lot of men. But the king of Ethiopia came to fight, and he had a million men. That's nearly double, and the odds seem overwhelming. But we see in Asa's prayer in 2 Chronicles 14, 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, is there no one, excuse me, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. He states that God is all-powerful. Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. We need to recognize we have no strength. He admits his dependence on God. So help us, O Lord our God, we trust in you. And he is humble, and at the same time, he's confident in his relationship. In your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. And he focuses on God's glory and not his worldly situation. Let no man prevail against you. As we continue in the model prayer, we see supplication is next. And if you look at it, at least in ESV, there are eight words of supplication out of a prayer that's 56 words long. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Very simple. Do we believe somehow that we have to enlighten God as to our needs? Or does God already know them? Well, God's omniscient. He's our creator. He knows what our needs are. So, of course, he knows our needs. It's just another admission of our dependence on him. Or do we believe that maybe God knows our needs and he just doesn't care, so we have to keep pestering him about him? No. God cares. He's not only omniscient and our creator, but he is good. We can trust him. This is another admission of how we must trust him. And we trust him for his glory and our good. I once had a coworker who asked me, Grady, how can you work for a man, and he was referring to my boss, how can you work for a man like that that you cannot trust? And I responded to him, but I can trust him. I know that in every situation and in every circumstance, he's going to do exactly what is best for him, regardless of what else is going on and what else is happening. It's exactly the opposite with God. We trust him because he's trustworthy. And aren't we fortunate 
that his faithfulness is not reciprocal to our own. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We need to acknowledge our sin, our imperfection. We need to confess, ask for forgiveness, and repent. We need to continually be asking God for a software update on our conscience. We owed a debt we couldn't pay, and out of an abundance of gratitude for his forgiving us, we need to forgive others. There is no way that I will ever have to forgive anyone as much as I've been forgiven. The balance is overwhelmingly in my favor. And because of that, my gratitude should ignite a deeper and much more abiding love for my father. It should draw me to my knees and want to be in constant, intimate communication and conversation with the one who loved me so. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This, among many other things, is an acknowledgement that even though we may be saved, we're not perfect. Yes, we have a responsibility to turn away from temptation, but that's through his grace and his strength and through prayer. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need to confess, would we? But we aren't, and we do. Now, if I'm transparent, and I want to be, the struggle comes in the balance. I find that I spend a disproportionate amount of time in supplication and in intercession. We talked about the acrostic ACTS or ACTS. R.C. Sproul once said, we often get the acrostic in a different order. And I agree. Sometimes that order looks a lot more like SCAT, S-C-A-T. And if we're running late, if we're busy, if we're distracted by what's going on in the day or the day before, sometimes the cat gets left out. And that can make prayer much more transactional than conversational. And if we want to analyze that a little bit, it comes off as a little self-centered and selfish. Let's look for just a moment at a couple of the prayers of Paul. We'll look further into his insights. And his first is in the epistle he wrote to the Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 16 through 21. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you, he has called you, 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. First thing we see is Paul never quits praying. This is serious stuff, and it takes serious focus and attention. Do you ever find yourself a little bit distracted when you pray? I do. Sometimes, you know, it's what's going on that day. Sometimes it's a whole bunch of different stuff. But what I have found is if I get up early before people start texting me and calling me, if I start praying before I open emails or to-do lists or calendars or stuff like that, then it is much less distracted. The other thing that I have found to be very helpful is praying at the very beginning, Lord, help me to focus on you. I am here for you. I want to focus this time and pay the due attention that you deserve. And if we do stuff like that, this can be the part of the day that we most look forward to. Then we see that Paul is thankful. And in this case, he's thankful for those that he gets to pray for. Think about what a privilege it is that we get to pray to the God who is in charge of everything for those that we care about and love. And then he gets really focused on Jesus. The knowledge of him, what he has done and what he is doing. There is no saving knowledge except that that comes from him. The focus is on the gospel and on eternal things. Besides the heavenly inheritance that is promised, the present inheritance that we can experience right now. Matthew Henry wrote, For grace is glory begun, and holiness is happiness in bud. There is a glory in this inheritance, riches in glory, rendering the Christian more excellent and more truly honorable than all about him. And it is desirable to know this experimentally, to be acquainted with the principles, pleasures, and powers of the spiritual and divine life. Paul continues in Ephesians, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised from the dead and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. It's necessary for us to understand God's self-sufficiency and his greatness, and those are necessary for us to maintain a constant and consistent walk. 
we know of his power and his grace, we need to know it experimentally and experientially. We need to know it in our heads, and we need to know it in our hearts. That draws us and continues to draw us to him. And it's attractive to the world as they see us living it out. Paul shows us another prayer, this one to the church at Colossae in Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Again, we see that Paul is praying persistently. You don't see Paul saying, okay, God, I've got 30 minutes. Let's use that up. You don't see prayer to Paul as a to-do list item. Again, this can be the part of the day that we look most forward to. We get to spend time with our maker. And in doing so, we understand his love for us and we grow to love him more. Is it okay, because Paul's prayer is directed toward others, is it okay to pray for ourselves? Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8, Paul said, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And in the Gospel of Matthew 26 and 39b, Jesus said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The majority of our prayers, of the prayers that, that we read in Scripture, are for others, but it is okay to pray for yourself. Paul is praying here that their knowledge or spiritual wisdom and understanding grow and that they walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He is praying for their strength, their endurance, patience, and joy with thanksgiving for those he is praying for. This is the gospel and to the glory of God. So, as we look at those prayers, what are some things that we see common to all of them that might be instructive as we pray? First, these prayers were prayed confidently. That confidence is not in ourselves or in the way we pray. Nothing about our power or ability, but confidence in the one to whom we are praying. Number two, they were committed to prayer. This wasn't a one-time experience. This was a lifestyle I'm reminded of a book I read years ago, and, and sometimes we can read books that 
the people we read them that wrote them. We don't agree with everything they say, but the title of the book was Too Busy Not to Pray. The book maintained that in the lives we live, if we're too busy to pray, we're too busy. We can't accomplish what needs to be accomplished if we don't start it with prayer. Otherwise, we're operating in our power and our strength. Number three, these prayers need to be humble and at the same time, bold and compassionate. Those may seem incongruent, but we're humble because we're praying to God Almighty. And they're bold because we understand our position as adopted sons and daughters. And we're passionate because we're being transformed into his likeness and his desires are becoming ours. Fourth, we need to pray with joy. We get to talk and share our hearts and our hurts with God. We know and believe he answers and hears our prayers. Even in sorrow, we can be joyful because we have a loving father, brother, and spirit. And they care. And fifth and finally, they prayed excited and expectant. You know, we get to see what the God of the universe who created everything, is doing in our world and in the hearts of men. He told us what he wants, and to a very great extent, he told us what he's going to do and what's not to be excited about. Fulfillment of him, of what he has said, pushes us to trust him deeper. And if he is honest and true, and he is, Fortunately, we can watch what happens. If this is the way we pray, we won't settle for half-baked prayers to mark them off of a to-do list. As an example, Amelia Taylor, who happened to be the mother of Hudson Taylor, the, the famous evangelist for China for 50 years, this is said about her in a biography. Amelia was a strong mother who believed in the power of prayer. Amelia decided to leave the home for a few days and to go on a spiritual retreat where she determined to pray for Hudson until she came to the sense of assurance that God would save him. She locked herself in a room and for hours pleaded that God would extend mercy to Hudson. And then, all of a sudden, she believed God had answered her prayer. Her heart turned from pleading to praise, and she worshiped God who had, who had indeed saved her son. You'll notice that we haven't talked at all about when to pray, maybe a little, where to pray, or what position we pray in. Those are all important things, but we need to get first things first. We need to be praying properly. So if these are distinctives, of Canton Bible Church and of true believers, how are we doing? Well, 
I believe that Canton Bible is a church that's dedicated to prayer. But you know, we really don't know because prayer is to be a very personal and individual thing. It's an intimate conversation between you and God. But there are some indicators that maybe we could do a little bit better. Most of you have been here long enough to remember the little blue sheets that we used to have on prayer, where we would hand those out. Have you noticed that we aren't doing those anymore? We're not doing those anymore because there wasn't a lot of participation. Wasn't a whole lot of people asking for prayer, and even less people asking or telling of the praises when their prayers had been answered. And David and I don't get a whole lot of people asking us to pray for them. Uh, maybe people don't have anything to be prayed for. Or maybe there's, there's some reason that, that somehow people won't ask for prayer. And, and if somehow it, it, it comes off that we're unapproachable for that, I'll apologize and ask for forgiveness. That's not the indication. It's not a burden to ask us or anyone else in this room to pray for you. It's a privilege and it's an honor. I'd like to see us get to the point where we not just want the blue sheets back, but we need them. Where we're putting our prayers down, where we're praying for each other. I'd like to see us get to a point where we have dedicated seasons of prayer for specific things, maybe incorporate at some point some fasting, and then we get together for maybe one of our monthly get-togethers, and we rejoice and praise God and how he has answered our prayers and how it has affected our lives. I'd like to see us individually asking brothers and sisters honestly how we can pray for them and receiving honest, legitimate answers and then have the integrity to pray for what we've been asked to pray for. I believe that as our prayer life goes, so goes our walk. Now, I've got some questions that I've been asking myself. So these are going to be phrased as I questions, but that doesn't mean that you don't get to participate. You are fully capable of participating if you want to. And these are the questions that I've got. Certainly there are more, but these are a few that I start off with. If my prayers reveal my true priorities... What does my prayer life say is most important to me? Second question. Are there some worries that I need to give up if I'm to pray rightly? If I am to pray with my inheritance and an eternal mindset? Third, do I pray more for six saints or well sinners. Fifth, am I praying that God's character be revealed in me and my prayer life? Think about love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And finally, do my prayers reveal joy, thankfulness, and contentment? Or do they reveal something else? Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads, we are grateful 
that we get to pray to our great God and Creator. Father, we thank you that we are welcome before the throne. Father, we are thankful that you did what was required, that we can pray to you at any time without intercessor. Father, we ask that you transform our prayer life, that you would transform us, that we would be people that are on our knees praying to you as is appropriate. Father, we ask that you would enliven our prayer life and enliven our relationship, grow us more to be like Jesus. Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand as we sing together.